Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. And Dan says, take as much time as you want. I have learned from Brother Harold Stumball, this is an Arkansas hourglass for preachers. That ice cannot melt. If it melts, I got to quit. That's what that is. <laughs> I appreciated Brother Sonny's prayer. Um, I loved what he said. We are nothing without Christ. Dan said, let's lead one more. He said, 170. I thought, oh, let's, see, let's see what song we're going to sing before I get up into the stand. I look poor, weak, and worthless. <laughs> Guilty. But, but, as I've said many times, I have no confidence in myself, in and of myself up here, but I have every confidence in the one who called me to do this. Amen. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't believe he called me to do this. Exactly. Dan mentioned the temptation of Christ. You know what's interesting about that? That happened immediately after Christ was baptized by John the Baptist. When he was baptized, he enjoyed the blessing of his father. He enjoyed communion or fellowship with the saints. He enjoyed the message of the gospel. But as soon as he left and went out into the wilderness, Satan attacked. Satan is all, he acts quickly. Look at Job, he lost it all in one day. Anyway, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll begin there. Very familiar scripture to all of you, I am sure. I kind of had on, I was kind of trying to decide what to do preaching four times this weekend. I said, can I kind of wanted to get a little bit of a theme, but what I had on my mind is uh, miracles. Jesus performed many miracles to prove who he was when here is the Son of Man. But the miracle I want to talk about tonight is every miracle I see sitting in this church today. As uh, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon said, I don't recommend reading everything Spurgeon said, but he did say some good stuff. He said, he commented one time that everybody in his congregation he was looking out preaching to was a monument of grace. And what I want to talk about tonight, since my wife makes me give a title to the sermon, she has to have it, she, which is a good thing. I want to talk about giving life to the dead in sins. In 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Undoubtedly, you're familiar very much so with those four verses of Scripture. The Word, the gospel, tells us what the Spirit has done in our hearts. That's what I want to focus on today. It says that life and immortality are brought to light through the gospel. I believe life and immortality are two different things. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Immortality, though. Think about that immortality. We know what that means, that we will live forever in the presence of God incorruptible. Amen. But... I want to look at this a little bit different tonight. He has abolished death. Who hath abolished death? Now, abolished, that word means to annul, to demolish, or to destroy. And what I want to look at is not just the fact 
that He has abolished bodily death. We know that that was the last enemy to be destroyed, Paul said. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, which are two very similar letters, the rebirth is compared to the resurrection. You are a miracle tonight because you have been brought to life from the dead spiritually and are living in that right now. What a glory to live in that, to know this. You are a dead person or were a dead person who is now alive. That is completely miraculous. I'll I'll just read from one of those places. I mentioned Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3 since Ephesians chapter 2 is kind of a a manifesto of what we believe anyway. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I love it says were. Past tense. Amen. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, past tense, by nature the children of wrath even as others. But. I love the buts of the Bible, right? But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made alive, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath, that's past tense, hath raised us up. Now wait a minute, these people, the Ephesian church was not resurrected bodily yet, right? I think we can all agree with that. But they were raised up. Comparing it to the resurrection. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Your faith and your belief that God was who, that Christ is who he said he is. Your faith and your belief in the God of the universe is every bit as much of a miracle as Christ's resurrection. Amen. It's the same power that brought him out of the grave. That's right. That's right. That's right. Our spiritual life, which is an immediate, definite work of the Holy Spirit, solely by the Holy Spirit, no other means. Amen. No other means. The gospel has brought it to light. That's what Paul told Timothy. It's just brought that fact to light. I want to focus on a fella tonight. I call, I, I say Brother Nicodemus. I believe he was a brother. I don't believe he knew it at first. But Nicodemus recognized who Jesus was. We'll read about that in a minute. You know, Jesus was saying in John chapter 6 and verse 63 that it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing. The spirit, the born again spirit that is a complete miracle that lives in you now, that lives in every single person in this church. There's no doubt about that. You know how I know that? You would have no desire to be here if it didn't. You know, the 10th Psalm and the 4th verse says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek God. Amen. God is not in all his thoughts. That's right. Scripture starts out, the Bible starts out, In the beginning God. <laughs> Did you know without being born of the Spirit, you couldn't even believe that? Exactly right. you, wouldn't be- you wouldn't believe that God has been there from the beginning. Right. God wouldn't be on your mind. But this... Quickening often happens, as Gary likes to talk about, me and Gary like to talk about it at a very young age. I mean, I can give you three crystal clear examples in Scripture. John the Baptist, David, and Jeremiah. 
John the Baptist was born of the Spirit in his mother's womb. Amen. David said, I was made to hope upon my mother's breast. God told Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb, he knew him. There's a beautiful picture of the rebirth in Ezekiel chapter 16. It's about as vivid as it gets, and it, and it pictures a, a, an infant, literally helpless babe laying over here. Y'all all, most people in here have been parents. If you haven't, you've been around children. How helpless is a newborn, is an infant? How helpless is that? This is miraculous as it gets under the sun. But I want to go to John chapter 3 and Brother Nicodemus and look at this conversation Jesus had with him. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is, born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I understand the question, don't y'all? I mean... I, I get why he was confused. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now, First of all, we need to understand who Nicodemus was. In verse 1, it says that there was a man of the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were the strictest sect for religious holiness in that day. The Pharisees got a lot right. They believed in a Messiah. They believed in the Old Testament. They believed in angels. They believed in spirits. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, they did. They were not like the Sadducees. That's right. But at the same time, they were bitter enemies of Christ. That's right. Now, Nicodemus was not just of the Pharisees. He was a ruler. Nicodemus was part, a member of the Sanhedrin. which consisted of the wisest and most dignified of the Pharisees. This was not just some random fella here. This was a man of high standing amongst the Pharisees. In verse 2 it says he came by night. Well, he came by night, I think, out of fear. You think about all the man had to lose. He had a lot to lose. His social standing, his um, place in his if you'll have it, if you'll call, if I can use the word church, maybe even his life. I don't know. But he came by fear. But he had to come to Jesus because there was something there. He just couldn't, he couldn't not, he, he couldn't, he undoubtedly couldn't get this out of his out of his head. But when he came to Jesus, he called him rabbi. Now, the term rabbi, especially back then, was a title that was greatly obtained among Jewish doctors. And, they, and it was a title that the Pharisees were very fond of. They didn't just throw this title around. It, can, it comes from a word which signifies great and large. And it was used by them to suggest a plethora of knowledge that one had in his mind. Obviously, it definitely best suited our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't it? Yes. And Nicodemus called him rabbi. 
But you know what else is interesting? He called him teacher. You see that? We know that thou art a teacher come from God. A teacher come from God. Well, that's interesting because of the book of Isaiah. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 2, which obviously the book of Isaiah, probably the greatest, most complete prophecy of the coming Christ, coming Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. By the way, it shall come to pass in the last days. There's just the first and the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Okay? This is talking about the coming Christ, okay? This ain't talking about what John Hagee says is going to happen when the blood moon comes, okay? Excuse, I'm, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways. And we will walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall teach us His ways. Nicodemus said, Jesus, we know that, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. You think, you think Nicodemus didn't know what Isaiah had said? When you turn over to uh, the 48th chapter of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. It says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Looking at that word teach, teacher. And he said, he came, a teacher come from God. Look at this, Isaiah 6, chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of the heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. That is not talking about Isaiah. That is talking about Christ because Christ even referenced it talking about Himself. A teacher come from God. Now, one thing that you'll notice if you go back to John chapter 3, I'm sorry, I, I'll go back and forth a good bit, but John chapter 3 is, is, is the, the, the meat of what we're in tonight. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and, and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind because this is what the vast majority of religious people believe this verse is saying. They believe that Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know there is something about you. I believe you're come from God. You're a teacher. Everything. Most people believe that Jesus looked at him and said, Yeah, Nicodemus, but you still got to get yourself born again. That is not what Jesus was telling him. Amen. Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you can figure all this out because you've been born of God. You wouldn't know all of this. You wouldn't know who I was. You wouldn't be seeing the kingdom except you'd been born again. Remember what I said, in the beginning, God? Why do you believe that? Well, when Jesus asked, Peter in Matthew chapter 16, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
Well, you know, some say John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, some Elijah, all these. Who do you say I am, Peter? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, you know what he didn't say? Boy, I'm proud of you for figuring that out, Peter. You really did good. You must have went to Bible school when you was a kid. That's not what he said, is it? He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You are a blessed man, Peter, simply because you can see that I am who I am. Nicodemus was the same way. You know, Jesus knew Nicodemus, didn't he? I mean, what does Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 say about the Word of God, and that is speaking of Christ? The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I, by the way, just a little aside, I love preaching when preachers are in the building. I got Brother Jesse over here helping me preach. I love that. I just love it. He knows what I'm about to say, what I'm about to think. But when I say Jesus knew Nicodemus, you know, when Nicodemus came to him, he, he said, you know, he took time. He took time to talk with Nicodemus, didn't he? He, he, he sat there and, and reasoned with him. We'll, we'll go on to, to, to look at it a little deeper. But when I say that he knew him, Jesus was a man who went around, as I said, performing miracles. You know, everybody saw them. I think I'll get to it tomorrow morning, probably. But in the chapter before, chapter 2, Jesus performed his first miracle as the Son of Man when he turned water into wine. Everybody saw these miracles. Back up in verse 2. Look at the last three verses. Um, chapter 2. The last three verses of chapter 2. Look at verse 23 of chapter 2. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles he did. They saw the miracles and they couldn't deny what he had did. This wasn't David Copperfield. These weren't magic tricks. These were miracles. Look at the next verse. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus wasn't a circus clown. He wasn't just going to go around performing miracles for people just so they could see it again. But Nicodemus knew who he was. He didn't just see the miracles and say, oh, this, this guy is something else. He really... No. He said, this man is a teacher sent from God. I believe Nicodemus was starting to figure out, this, this is who we've been looking for. When he tells him, except a man be born again, that there means from above. Born from above. You know, John would start out his gospel in chapter 1 and in verse 11, you know, he said, He came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They were born from above which is exactly what Nicodemus was. He could see and he could enjoy this because he had been born from above. Jesus puts first things first. Okay. Nicodemus says, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. I mean, this is just amazing. Jesus, I, I see this. What's the first thing Jesus said? Set the man be born again, he can't see these things. First thing. He had to be born in order to see these things. Birth precedes any godly action on our part. Amen. Nothing else. It's just the simplest terms. Does it stand to reason? that your first act on this earth outside of the womb 
we say give birth, did not occur until after you were born? I mean, is that really that simple? It really is that simple. Is that Jesus really tried to make it this simple to understand? And we mess it up so much. The Holy Spirit gives birth immediately, solely. In fact, I was having this conversation at work one time years ago, and I was trying to talk to a man what I believe the Bible, one of the best men I've ever known, would not have this doctrine. I mean, he just hated it. And I said something about, he said, salvation is a gift. He said, but if somebody gives me a gift at Christmas, I've got to reach out and take it. If somebody gives me a gift. Well, see, my wife is sitting here tonight. She gave birth to all three of my children. She gave birth. That's what giving life, giving birth. Giving birth is not, get here, here you go, here, here's your present. When a woman gives birth, that baby's coming out, whether that baby likes it or not. That baby has nothing to do with that. That baby can kick, fight, scream all at once, but the baby's coming out. That's what giving, that's what the new birth is, giving birth. When you say a woman gives birth. I can, I can remember watching it. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. My children being born. Absolutely. I never one time saw the doctor ask the baby if they wanted to be born. Right. Right. The, the mother gave birth. You see, it's impossible in the way Nicodemus was thinking. How can I re-enter into my mother's womb? Of, of course that was, didn't make sense, Right? But in verse 5, Jesus answered him when he said, How can I do this? And he said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That verse troubled me for a long time. Born of water. Now, I knew it didn't mean baptism like some denominations think. If you ain't, you got to be born again, you got to get yourself born again and be baptized. Be born of water and of the Spirit. Until, just like I'm prone to do so often, there's a verse I like to pluck out, which nothing wrong with that, but Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I've always loved to pluck that verse out because the verse says, it's a good, it's a, it's a good picture of the new birth, Ezekiel 36 and 26, it says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I think about those that were cut to the heart, those in the seventh chapter of Acts, versus being pricked in the heart. They had a heart of stone. Then I backed up one verse. Because it says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, born of water and of the Spirit. And ye shall be clean and all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. Oh, okay. Born of water and of the Spirit. And in John chapter 3, we're reading here. Do y'all remember what comes up in John chapter 4? The woman at the well? What did Jesus tell her in John chapter 4 and verse 13? Whoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Talking about the water she was pulling out of the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up in everlasting life. Born of water and of the Spirit. Okay, it's starting to make a little more sense now. Born of water and of the Spirit. He says, and except one be born of the water, born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, in order to enter into a kingdom... Okay, I'm, uh, the closest example we have is, I guess, what happened when Queen Elizabeth died. You know, I, I kind of like the old saying, I quit, I quit caring about the Queen of England in 1776. But anyway, when the Queen of England dies, right, poor old Prince Charles has been around forever. He's 70-something years old and a prince, right? But he is the heir to the throne, right? So he becomes king. 
king of the kingdom, to enter into the kingdom. You know what Charles had to do to be an heir? He had to be born. He had to first be born to be an heir, right? How could somebody be an heir if they'd never been born? I am the middle of three children. My parents are still living. I'm very thankful. I have wonderful parents. And if they go before I do, and if they have anything to leave me, I will not, I will receive some sort of inheritance, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they don't have none. I don't know. But you know why I will get to receive and enjoy that inheritance? Because I was born. Do you all see how simple this really is? I was born September 17th, 1978. I know, I don't look that old. But when I was born, I was born on a Sunday. Supposedly my mom was in labor for a long time. I don't remember it. I was completely passive in that event. My mother gave birth to me. I did nothing to receive it. Even if I wanted to kick against it, she is my mother. My dad is my father. But any right we have to a kingdom blessing is because we have been born into the kingdom. First and foremost. Born of, the, born of water and of the Spirit. Hmm. Paul had something to say about that in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, Paul would say, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because he hasn't been born into the kingdom. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Bring that one up next time somebody mentions, do you judge not? Yeah, like we have, like as a Christian, you have no right to say anything's right or wrong, okay? (laughs) Wow. Anyhow, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And in the 15th chapter there, in verse 50, Paul would say, Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Only those born into the kingdom can inherit the kingdom. You know, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary the one to the other. As, um, golly, I'm going to mention Gary for the second time tonight. That's, he's going to get a big head. But as he likes to drill into my head, that spirit within you that has been born again is subject to the flesh. You know why? Because if it wasn't, it'd go to heaven right now. You know it's ready for heaven right now. Now you think about that. In Romans chapter 8, There are five things he mentions there. He says, for whom he foreknew, he predestinated him, and he called him, and he justified him, and he glorified him. Now, I've asked this of many people. And I'm going to ask you. Why would he take foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification and say yeah I've done all that but I'm not going to glorify you yet why would that one be present tense it's not present tense it's past tense glorified there is a part of you the born again spirit you want to talk about miraculous the part of you in here that has been born of the spirit is glorified and fit for heaven right now right now 
You know how I know that? Because to be absent from this body is to be present for the Lord. You know how this body dies? Because it's not ready for glory yet. It will be one day. But there's a part of you that when this body dies, immediately is in the presence of God. And that is the real you, by the way. The Bible will bear that out. But the rebirth, you being an heir, all these things, is summed up nice and tidy over in the book of Titus. Let me get over there real quick. I, I need to grab this. In Titus chapter 3, listen to this. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceiving, serving divers, lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating, of, hating one another. But, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, Amen. which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, regeneration. Let me tell you what that word means. It means to cause... To be born again. To cause to be born again. To invest with a new and higher spiritual nature. Amen. To reform completely. This is, all to re, this is all regenerate. To reproduce or form afresh. To recreate. To form or bring into existence again. Born again. To reconstitute on a higher plane. How about that? Regeneration. And you know, right there in verse 7, I just read in Titus chapter 3, it says, according to the hope of eternal life. You know how he started out in the book of Titus. I love how Paul started that out. He said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Amen. Now, if God promised eternal life before the world began, last time I checked in my creation in Genesis, man was created on the sixth day, right? I mean, it was the last thing God created. I say he didn't create man first because man would have took credit for everything else. So he created man last. So if God promised eternal life before the world began, who did He promise it to? Man wasn't there. He promised it to Himself. He promised it to Himself. And so when we get back into our text in John chapter 3, in verse 7, Jesus told Nicodemus, He said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Notice Jesus does not state in an active voice, you must get yourself born again. Or you must born yourself again. He said in a passive voice, you must be born again. This has to happen to you. It's the state you must exist in to understand the kingdom. To exist in the kingdom. To enjoy the kingdom. To dwell in the kingdom. How does this happen? Well, verse 8, he tells us. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Mm. It's by the sovereign movement of the Holy Spirit as the sole means. That's how the rebirth takes place. Are there any conditions you must meet? I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, how about John 3.16? I'm glad you asked. Because we're going to get there. You ever heard a primitive Baptist preacher preach on John 3.16? It's a wonderful verse. It is glorious. 
Let's read a little more. Nicodemus, this is verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Ouch! Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that, that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Listen to this, what he mentions right here to Nicodemus, the next verse. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. That's what he's talking about. But what is this about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness? Well, that's in Numbers chapter 21. And in Numbers chapter 21, this is the reference Jesus was making here. Now, before I read this, I just want you to think about how happy you should be that we live in the day of grace. Because I want you to listen to this right here in Numbers chapter uh, 21. Verse 4 of Numbers chapter 21 says, And they journeyed, talking about the children of Israel, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Poor people. Hey, I'd been right there with them. And the people spake against God and even Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They started fussing about the manna. Listen to what God did. <laughs> and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Whoa! Goodness! Glad we're in the day of grace. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. And we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Yes. And this is what he did. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if any serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Yes. Does that verse say, Moses, I want you to build this brass serpent and put it up on a pole, and when somebody's bit, if they look at it, they're not going to go to hell. Right. They're going to go to heaven. That's not what he said, is it? These were all his children. These were all children of Israel. But he said, look on it and you'll live. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. This is how you enter into the kingdom. Look at me. Follow me. That's what this is talking about in John chapter 3. Then he goes on to say, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know there's people that are going to have life eternal, but they don't have eternal life right now? Because they don't know about it. You have eternal life right now because you know about it. You're an eternal being. You're enjoying it right now. You're living in the kingdom right now because you know about it. Now, the eternal destiny of God's people doesn't depend on whether they know about it or not, but don't you want to know about it? Who hath abolished life and brought, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel? So Paul was telling Timothy. Now the next verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Verse 16 is so often used for a conditional invitation. 
Does that fit? Look, there are three. I want you to remember this. There are three keys when you study your Bible. I want you to remember these three keys to studying Scripture, okay? This, you'll get a long way with this. The three keys to studying the Bible are context is key, context is key, and context is key. Does the usage of John 3.16 as a universal invitation to get born again fit this context? Not a lick. Not even a little bit. Does it fit logic? It doesn't, it doesn't even make sense in nature. Nothing about it makes sense. If you only remember one thing tonight, remember this. Belief is a result of life, not the cause of it. Jesus doesn't invite you to believe in order to be born. That's not what John 3.16 is. Jesus proclaims that our belief is proof of our birth. Amen. That our, enter, our entrance into the kingdom is proof that we've been born to begin with. I want to close with this. If you'll forgive me, I want to read something. I still got a little bit of ice left. But I want to read this because it's just so good. It says, first of all, the generally accepted view that John 3.16 is an invitation for you to be born again disagrees with logic. The idea of having to accept an invitation to your own birth defies common sense. It is absurd to think that you can do something to bring about your own birth. Did you do anything to cause your natural birth? Neither can you do anything to cause your spiritual birth. The scriptures describe the miracle of regeneration as a birth, as a raising from the dead, and as a new creation. Reasonable thinkers must conclude that it is beyond the individual to bring to pass his own birth, to raise himself from the state of deadness, or to create, create himself. It disregards all reasoning to view John 3.16 as an invitation to accomplish that which is logically absurd. Surely basic good sense and simple logic must conclude that John 3.16 cannot be an invitation to cause your own spiritual birth. Next, the idea of self-instigated self -instigated born again does not fit into the Bible's general scheme of salvation. The Bible presents the unborn again as a person who has no desire for God, as a hater of God, and as one who is at enmity with God. The Bible says that spiritual things are foolishness to the natural unborn again person. What could motivate a man to come to the God he hates? Does this man desire to be with his enemy? Will he seek things that are to him ridiculous? No, no, no. According to an abundance of Bible teaching, it is wrong to think that an unborn again person will or can believe in Jesus. Some may say, whoever will, let him come. Yet Jesus said that an unborn again man is a will not person. Jesus said, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. A natural carnal person will never come to Jesus by an invitation. If he comes, God must irresistibly compel his coming. Jesus said, No man come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. The Father must do the drawing. The Holy Spirit must move as he pleases. Born again is a miracle of God. A preponderance of Bible teachings prove that John 3.16 cannot be an invitation to be born again. The context of the third chapter of John does not allow an invitation to the unborn, but it, scre it screams for an assurance to the reborn. John 3.16 is that proclamation of assurance so that you can know that you are born again. The answer to your doubts lies in these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The bottom line is, if you believe in Jesus, then you are already born again. If you believe in Jesus, you already have eternal life. For Jesus has already taught you that without having already been born again, you would not be able to see or believe in Jesus. Thus, John 3.16 gives confident assurance to the questioning child of God. The teaching is not if you believe you will get everlasting life. The teaching is 
if you believe you already have everlasting life. John 3.16 is not an impossible proposition for you to attain life. It is a reliable proclamation that you already have life. John 3.16 does not offer the new birth to one who cannot birth himself. John 3.16 offers the already born again evidence of his prior new birth. Jesus did not tell those without life how to get it. Jesus told those who have life how to know about it. John 3.16 is not an invitation to be born again. John 3.16 is an assurance to the already born again. Belief is not what gives life. Belief is an evidence that life exists. First comes eternal life by the breath of the Holy Ghost. Then comes belief in Jesus. Thus, if you believe, then you, ha- then you must have already, already have eternal life. Oh, what comfort and consolation are in the teachings of Jesus. He does not ask the impossible of the unborn. Instead, he reassures the born again who may be a doubter. If you know anybody in your life, they may not come to church. They may be a little rough. I hope I'm, I hope I'm not out of the way in saying this. I'm not, I'm not promoting sin. I'm not saying that. But I don't read in the Bible where Jesus condemned sinners. But you know who he did condemn? The self-righteous. That man who knows he's a sinner, that man who will tell you, I mean, I, I've asked people, I'm rough people to work for. Who is Jesus to you? You've got to do something with this man, Jesus. Who is he? Well, he's the son of God. He died for our sins. <coughs> Don't, I, why would you want to bring this person down? That's the time you say, praise God, you're one of his children. Right. Now here's what we do. Not this is what you've got to do where you're going to burn in hell, right? Amen. Praise God for the reassurances of Jesus. May God bless you. For as much as Brother Kevin hath taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, I trust you are all blessed by that. That was a a healthy dose of Christian fundamentals. My son wears me out because he says, you use the word fundamental too much. You say fundamental all the time. If I say it in the car when we're driving, I know I'm going to hear it from the back seat. Fundamental. He wears me out about it. But fundamentals are important. And this is a very important one. It is, as he said, so simple. In so many respects, it is so simple. And the broader world of Christianity makes it so much more complicated. Jesus taught in that passage, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. A natural man who is not born again is ever and only in the flesh. All he's got at the job site to work with is flesh. He ain't ever going to build a spirit out of it, right? If you've got nothing but a pile of lumber, you're never going to build a metal skyscraper because all you got is lumber to work with. It's the same thing with a natural man. All he's got is flesh. All he's ever going to produce is something of the flesh. So if we're born again, we're born of God's Spirit. He's the one who does the spiritual borning again, if that's even a terminology. I know we've preached it from time to time. That's a blessed truth, and you're blessed to hear it today. It's a fundamental of the faith. And I want you to consider tonight, as you go home, how blessed you are to hear that particular truth because I'm telling you it's pretty rare in Christendom if you spun a wheel and just randomly chose a church you would probably have to attend a hundred churches before you would come across one that actually teaches that with that sort of clarity but it's incredibly important and it really helps you understand what's been done for us by grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Brother Kevin to come up here and shake your hand while we sing 154 Amazing Grace. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church.